Hello, everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. You are listening to Season 1, Episode 4 of the Sheep Things Podcast. What a special guest we have for you today. Mark Dennis, owner of Country Oak Ranch in Louisiana, and a longtime Katahdin breeder, instrumental in the early development of bringing the breed to where it is today. He'll share with us a little about his background, growing up, his sheep operation, and give us some history of the Katahdin breed and the association. This was a long discussion, so we're going to break it up into a couple episodes. We hope you enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Mark Dennis. about worming i just can't believe um people are having so much problem with parasites worms mm-hmm. i uh we're probably in one of the worst parts of the country here and uh i don't know uh i don't think i have a problem i worm twice a year and uh now i worm the lambs a couple times but um but you know, animals build up resistance to these parasites on pasture. And and when you're in the barn all winter, you're not building up a lot of resistance. Yeah. And then, and, uh, I know Joan Burke, she, taught, she used to tell me years ago that the sheep from the south were a lot more parasite resistance than what she would take in from the north. Mm-hmm. And, then I, and then I brought, I traded a ram, I brought in one from Montana. And uh, she never bought no more rams from me. She said, you, you, you brought in parasites. So, so a- a- anyway, I, um, I, uh, I don't think we have a parasite problem, but we rotate and, and uh, we, we look at poops. And, and I just look at them. I, I don't do the testing on them. Uh, Roxanne showed me how to do that, but uh, I never thought I had had a problem that I had to do that. And, and, um, uh, I, I don't know. I think a lot of this problem is, is the, is the shepherds that they yeah. don't, they don't rotate right. I mean, we yeah. got a pretty parasite resistant animal to start with. And, uh, it's, it's, it's not like the dorpers for sure. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think one problem is, <clears throat> back to going and visit, you know, uh, as many people as you can and seeing someone's management style. And, uh, because, you know, some people, you know, uh, they advertise parasite resistance, you know, and all that, which is, you know, probably true, but they don't tell you the management that they go through to be there. Yeah. 
So when the person buys that animal thinking, oh, I don't have to do nothing, and they turn this sheep out yeah. on, you know, uh, foot-tall grass and leave it out there all summer, yeah. and then, then it dies of parasites. Yeah. Well, you, you, you left out the part that I rotate them every two or three days, and they don't get back on that pasture for 45 days, and, and they only have tall grass. They don't have short grass, and all those management things they left out, yeah. you know, and uh, I think that's that's is is what I hear the most is you know what am I doing wrong? Well, yeah, you can't just you know turn them out and hope for the best. No, no. Well, you can, you can, you you're gonna lose and some. You every, know. You're gonna lose a lot. And every area, the parasites is, are different. Mm-hmm. Yes. When, when it leaves here and goes to your farm, uh, your parasite, uh, my sheep might not be resistant to your parasites like they were here. Well, another thing, don't you think people get a, a year or two free pass? You know, you, you've yeah. got a farm, you've had cattle on it or whatever, yeah. and you buy sheep and man, you get lucky for a year or two yeah. and then man, you get hit year, year three, yeah. uh, year four, you know, oh my gosh, what am I doing wrong? Uh, you, you got lucky. You, there's that two year gap that everybody gets a free pass on yeah. with parasites usually, you know, unless you brought them in, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I find that uh, I worm right after we lamb, uh, mamas, uh, within, I like to say within 36 hours. For some reason, I don't know, you really seem like you get a good kill. And uh, a lot of people told me that, uh, Laura and, and uh, Kennedy, and, but, and, and then I worm before I put the rams in. I trim hoofs. Right, we have to trim ho- hoofs here because we don't have no rocks, just mud. And <laughs> uh, and uh, we trim hoofs twice a year, about, and worm twice a year. And that's it. And uh, and I just can't believe people are having so much parasite problems. And and then you, once in a while you find somebody even got foot rot problem. And that's all. That's all shepherd's problems, not sheep. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, I don't know we've been doing it here since 87 and uh, uh, with cattle and the sheep and and uh, but I think a market now is to get these cattle guys to uh, to show them uh, that you can make some money with sheep yeah but uh, you got to change your operation a little bit you, you need some dogs and, and uh to take care of them yeah so one one thing that i'm really curious about and would love your insight on just um yeah as you've seen the the industry really evolve over the last 30 years um where do you see the industry going in the future and how do you see i mean katahdin's playing into that um, how do you see the sheep industry fitting into agriculture in general um, I mean, it's, it's an industry that, that's had a lot of ups and downs over the years here in the U.S. Um, what are your thoughts on the future? Yeah, well, uh, I think it has a good future. Uh, we're having to import a lot of lamb from uh, uh, other countries, Australia mm-hmm. mainly, and there's no, no reason why we can't shouldn't be able to raise them here. And uh, but our problem is that uh, we got our sheep all mixed up. And uh, it's, um, uh, you, you, you go buy a lamb chop 
from your butcher. And then you go back next week and it tastes different because it's probably a different breed mm. because they all go in, uh, in, in all different kinds goes in these stores. Yeah. And, and where, when you get from Australia, it's always the same. And mm. until we can correct that, everybody seems to think they would need a new breed. Yeah. And, um, so I think that's a big problem that uh, I'll never see corrected in my lifetime. But um, if you if you want to have uh, the same uh, meat all the time, you got to buy from the same guy or the same group that are raising the same same breed of sheep. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, and um, I don't know. There's a lot of politics in it uh, out your way. I from what I read with. Uh, uh, the government and renting land and and uh, <laughs> um, that type of thing. I, I get the Shepherd magazine and uh, the articles in there, but it's, it's the only way I know about it. <laughs> but yeah. uh, uh, predators is a, a big problem. Uh, I don't have a problem here. I, I, I was we were talking the other night. You know, some people. Uh, uh, Robert says he has an eagle problem. Well, we're lucky. We, we, we don't have none of those problems. There were some coyotes around, but the dogs seem to take care of that. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, are, you know, have wildcats and mountain lions and all that stuff. And, and that's a problem. But yeah. they're all coming back. They're all getting stronger. They not seem to get rid of them creatures <laughs> because of the government uh, way they're operating yeah uh but i I think if you i think the sheep business is uh there's a future but we got to get uh do a little different marketing than the katahtans and and uh get some of these uh katahtans uh uh further west and so these big ranchers can see what they'll do Mm mm-hmm you know, I, I had, I went to a, uh, to a lamb plan or a lamb 509 class at Ohio state back in 2016, I guess. And, uh, you know, I was the only hair sheep guy there and, uh, my roommate was from the Oregon coast and, uh, Joe, and we, we, that Joe would be a great podcast. Uh, he's like a fourth or fifth generation sheep farmer. And, you know, I thought, Hey, you know, I got 120 or 30 sheep at a time. I'm, I'm, I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm big shot, you know, <laughs> I get there and I, and he goes, Hey, you got any sheep? I'm like, well, of course, you know, 120, 30 sheep, you know, no big deal. I said, how about you? And he goes, yeah. He said, I think, uh, oh, he said, we're, we're running about 4,000 years. And I'm like, yeah. well, crap. I mean, you could lose my sheep today and never know, oh. it. you know, I mean, it, you, you, you'd never miss 150 sheep. Oh. And so we get to talking and, 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 and one of the questions I asked him during the time was, okay, so how do I get somebody like you to take a chance on a Katahdin you, you know, I mean, I, I know the wool's not worth anything, but, and, and he says, okay, so I got a question for you. Where can I get a thousand you right now? That's and I'm like, well, you got me, man. Yeah. I, there's so many of us that, you know, uh, we did a survey in the last little bit kind of looking and, and I think the average flock size of the breed is 25 or less. Yeah. So, so this guy is, is, and, and really 4,000 sheep out there is nothing. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. 
So, so he, you know, Hey, I can't try it with 20 sheep. I got to try it with a thousand. Yeah. And the next thing is, is, you know, he's doing a Merino cross. So he's got a a more finer wool than, you know, what we hear about. So his wool is worth something. Yeah. And in in his case, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it was two or $300,000 worth of wool off of his use. And, uh, and he goes, how am I going to, how many extra lambs would it take to replace that? Yeah. Um, you know, Ooh, you know, so that's, that's a hard, uh, that'll be a hard market to hoe. And and I don't know that you can, because to be honest with you, I I don't really want it to, because I've, I've taken a liking to wool socks in the last couple (laughs) of years. I still need those guys. Yeah. I really like wool socks. So uh, you'll be able to get them from China. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then another, you're talking about, uh, excuse me, another, uh, you're talking about the size and the, and the Australians or whatever at ASI this year, they, they did a slide presentation on a group of guys that, that went to Australia and did a tour and all this stuff. They had this, what do they call it? Lamb, lamb X or something like that. This huge expo type deal. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they had one in Colorado this year for the U S uh, on a smaller scale, but uh-huh. uh, the guys went over there and they, and they toured one of the processing plants in Australia and, and the one processing plant, I think, and I, I don't quote me numbers, but I'm thinking they said like 8,000 lamb a day, yeah. you awesome. know, and all the processing plants in the U S combined don't even, <laughs> don't even do a quarter of that, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I hear people say, well, you know, uh, we're going to take over the world with this new breed or this new man, they'll process more sheep in a day at that one plant than most breeds have Oh yeah, you know, in the U S. So, uh, well, there is- you know, we're, we're, we're small potatoes and, uh, you know, they don't have groups of guys with 25 sheep uh, over there. They got 25,000 sheep. Yeah. 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 Well, they, they got the land and, uh, here, uh, people do it for a little tax write off and something to Absolutely. do, yeah. something to do and, uh, sort of hobby lobby. It's a little different in Mexico. There's some big breeders down there and, uh, and, uh, but, um, there's just no real big breeders here. One of the things we talked to uh, me and another, uh, board member talked about this week, we were just kind of talking about the state of the world, you know, and, uh, and with this vari- virus that's going around got us all shut up and, yeah. and worried about the grocery stores are empty and this, that, and other. One of the things that we feel like, we feel like the next few years will be a strong market for, for Katahdin's and Dorpers and other hair breeds, uh, especially in the South is, is I think people will really, uh, look into their food source, yeah. you know, in the coming years. And I think, uh, I think chickens will be a hot, you know, I think everybody will start raising their own eggs, right. you know, a uh, little grocery store here couldn't find eggs. And, and, and they, they, when they found a source, like $6 a dozen, everybody in town freaked out. Right. You know, so, so I think people will be raising their own chickens. I think the homesteader guys with five or 10 sheep, I think, I think everybody will, uh, start a garden. I mean, I think gardening will take off. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so I really think that the, the market for the next, you know, maybe five or 10 years for, for local, uh, produced lamb will be a really big, uh, really big turning point. So, you know, I hear people say, Oh, sheep ain't worth nothing. I'm getting out. No, I, 
I think it's the best time to get in, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, certain times when you're uh, with the sheep during lambing, uh, you know, it's a little, uh, extra work, a harder work, but, uh, yeah, I spend more time there, but, uh, more so than cattle probably. And they, they, uh, they didn't realize that uh, there is some extra work you have to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, it's, the production is so much more with sheep than cattle, I think. Yeah. So for producers that are just getting started, I mean, you have just a, a tremendous amount of experience and um, you've been doing this very successfully for a long time. What would be maybe your, your top three pieces of advice, whether that's marketing advice, whether that's how to raise their sheep, whether that's, um, what to look for when purchasing sheep. Um, what are what are your maybe top three pieces of advice that you consistently give to new people getting started or people that have maybe been doing it for a couple of years but are wanting to expand? Um, what's some of the things you found the most helpful? Know your breeder. Know your breeder. Go to his farm. Uh, go to people's farm and uh, see what kind of records they're keeping. Uh, you, get, you go to a place and the guy's got it written down on an old calendar in the barn or when he wormed the ass or what he wormed with um, and how many times he's doing that uh, and uh, vaccinations. Uh, it's, and if that's the kind of records he's keeping, uh, time to leave. And, and uh, paperwork and, and uh, keeping records is very important in my opinion mm-hmm. and because uh, I bought some sheep and uh, supposed to do this and supposed to do that and um, and you keep them a year and you get ready to breed them and they're not, they're not what you expected and it's awful hard to buy uh, ram lambs and, ex- and uh, expect that it'll be a good breeding animal you're, well, you're better off, a better investment is to buy a yearling or older because mm-hmm. I bought a lot of lambs and uh, they just, they, you end up eating them because they, they didn't turn out the way you wanted. So, but it costs a little more to get a yearling. And of course, uh, you want to uh, have them semen tested. Uh, that doesn't cost much, but, um, it's, that's something that people should do. If you only got, if you're only breeding with one lamb, you better have your semen tested. And even if you only had 20 ewes, because you can lose a whole, uh, a whole, yeah. uh, a whole lamb in, uh, unless, you, and always have a backup. And, uh, because when you need one, generally you can't find one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, and that's happened to me. So we probably have more rams than we ought to have, but I always need, I always like to keep the backup or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, uh, one year I bought a ram from Mark and I, it was my first ram, first big ram, I guess. And, uh, and I used him on a handful of use, you know, cause I didn't have many at the time. And then right before, like two weeks before I was going to turn him out again, uh, I lost him. You know, my border collie got out and got to, got to picking a fight with him, I guess. Anyway, I come home and there, my ram's dead. Yeah. And, and here I am two weeks yeah. before breeding season 
A, I can't find anything and B, I can't find nothing. I like, you know, so that was my lesson. And I always keep one or two of my best that I raised as a, to, to make it to the yearling age, just as a backup, Mm -hmm. because I feel like, uh, if worst case scenario, at least I got something I can live with if I can't find something else. Yeah. And, uh, so, so I always keep my best one or two just, just for me as a backup, you know, it's not worth, if I sold it, if I sold that animal and I needed it, then I, I I lost, you know, because I can't. So, so that's, that's my philosophy. And I, I try to tell everybody, man, always keep an ace in the hole. You know, the one you raise, the best one you raise this year is your best genetics, man. He's your best insurance policy. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, and, and, and my big problem that's been over the years, past 15 years, is finding a ram that's got some meat in him. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what uh, got some hind in him and, and, and some meat in the loin. And um, uh, I, don't, I don't care what he looks like, um, if he's straight or whatever, I, I'm looking for meat. And and I don't know where to go, and and people ask me the same thing, because I'm looking for a complete outcross that has no cor in it. Mm-hmm. I've been around a long time, so there's a lot of cor out there. I, I want to think that uh, the ones that are in the past few years are better than the ones that we had 20 years ago or 15 years ago, that we're improving. Well, we try to do that, and and and. Uh, so, but uh, I, I, I'm looking for rams. I bought a ram last year and, uh, and just uh, tries a different, he's a complete outcross. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and the lambs are on the ground now and, and uh, they, they look good, but we want to see what their performance is, how, how they're going to gain. And, and, yeah. it, and it, it's, uh, that's my problem is, is uh, finding something with some meat in it. Now I can go to Mexico and see, two or three that I love, but I can't mm-hmm. get them here. So that brings up a, a good question that, that I guess I'd like to ask is, uh, you know, you made a good point. You've been doing this for 33 years, 35 years, whatever. And, and, and like you say, it's hard to find a pedigree if you look far enough without a COR animal at some point, you know? So with that being said, out of all the animals you've raised over the years, which ram, which ram or two rams has ever has made the biggest impact on your, uh, on your farm or on your ranch, sorry, on the ranch, uh, as far as, uh, the impact it's made on your, on your business. Yeah. It, it was, uh, new generation, new generation, uh, that, uh, I picked up from John Cannon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then a ram that we called uh, Meat Maker. Mm. He weighed. Uh, he was a single, but uh, and that don't bother me if they're singles or not, because that don't mean anything. And uh, but it's um, he weighed uh, in his prime. Uh, he was he weighed three seventy four. Wow. And. Uh, and uh, people thought I had him crossed with a Charlotte bull. 
and and uh, uh, and uh, probably new generation and and then uh, meat maker um, was uh, were the two were the two so uh, so I assume you kept a lot of ewe lambs out of those animals uh, uh, well I did at those times you know that uh, a meat maker uh, he was uh, he was born in 2011 and then uh a new generation was uh, 2008 mm-hmm. so um yeah we kept a lot of them and uh and we, and we sold a lot of them too and yeah. uh try to bring in new genetics and uh and uh but uh, you know see what this guy's going to do that we have here so far and, uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough. Uh, both of those rams were still alive the first time I came down, and uh, you know me being new to sheep, and uh, and only seen a, you know I'd been to three or four farms at the time, and yeah. and I my first visit to a Todden farm was actually an Amish uh, place, uh-huh. and I I was didn't go to see sheep. I didn't even know they had sheep, and uh, I'd been looking at Dorpers for about two years, and and kind of give up on the idea. And then these three or four sheep come running out of this Amish barn. I'm like, oh, man, those are beautiful. What are those? He goes, oh, those are Katahdin's. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what do you want for them? You know, oh, I can't sell them. He said, I sell the lambs for $50 a piece. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'll give you 300 for the use. <laughs> oh, I can't do that. He said. <laughs> so he sent me to a guy, uh, you know, 30, 40 miles down the road. He goes, oh, he's got Katahdin's too. We trade rams some. So I go to this guy's place, and it was a totally different animal back to management you know yeah. they're both the similar genetics yeah. of course they were both commercial neither one of them were registered but they were both from the same uh group of sheep but they were a totally different animal and and i knew then man there's a difference in these sheep yeah, yeah. and uh so i'd seen i'd seen the 100 120 pound ewes and then i'd seen some really nice ewes and then i go to marks and and i walk out in the field these big ponies he's got down there for rams you know <laughs> it was a it was a totally different mindset you know yeah, well, uh, it's it's uh, it, it's I don't know I don't know where to go for uh, to buy. Uh, to, uh, money's not the problem. It's finding it, finding what I'm looking for. Something with me. Uh, uh, that's uh, you know, I I I I, uh, I don't know whatever happened to the what was it seventeen thousand dollar ram that sold in Sedalia. I haven't heard nothing yeah. about him. I haven't heard anything about the eighty-seven hundred dollar ram that sold the year before that. Uh, seems to me, if you're paying that kind of money and he was that good, you'd be promoting him, and and I'd be interested in. But you never hear nothing about them big prices. What, what happened to them rams? Yeah, I imagine the seventeen thousand dollar ram. Uh, my guess is Sedalia will not happen this year. I'm, I'm guessing they will, will not have that event, but, uh, I imagine, you know, those guys, uh, were obviously show, show breeders, uh, cause meat people can't afford that. Uh, but I imagine that they would have, you know, brought some lambs to Sedalia and maybe to some shows later on this fall. But, uh, yeah, time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know, but that, they were only that good by one judge that day, you know? Yep. And, 
and uh, and and I, uh, you know, I have a problem with. Uh, I think the reason I never got into show, um, uh, because we have sold, you know, and, and lent to kids to uh, to show and and have won uh, quite well in the South here, but but uh, they always have wool judges, and uh, they never have. Uh, uh, I think that the judges ought to be. We say uh, we're meat sheep. I think we ought to have order buyers be the judge. Hmm. And we, when we had our gathering in Maryland uh, a few years ago, we had a uh, fellow in there that spoke, a great speaker. Um, he was an order buyer at, uh, at the, what the hell, New Holland. And, and he says the problem that Katahdin, this is a few years ago now, he says the problem that Katahdin people have when they bring sheep in here, they don't know how to finish them. And he went on and was wondering what was wrong with the Katahdins. Now, I think that um, guys like that um, and, and not wool judges will change the cotton breed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And... and uh, and um, because I went to uh, the Louisiana um, uh, sheep, I guess it was their uh, sheep and cattle festival and state fair, and it's in February. It's in February in Baton Rouge, and the guy spoke highly. He was from Utah or someplace out there. Spoke highly about the cottons. Bought this and that. Never picked one. All he picked all the wool sheep. And uh, and then you and then you'll see uh, judges that wow this is the first time I've ever seen a a, a katahdin and and he's and he's judging and and he's they're picking all the wool mm-hmm. it's Sedalia the same thing all all the all, all the people that are raising all the show sheep well, they know all the judges because they used to raise uh they they used to raise wool sheep themselves until. They switched to Katahdin because Katahdin's the hottest thing going. So yeah, you you made a comment about the finishing. Uh, uh, back to my five oh nine class that we did, we took a tour of a uh, place in Ohio while we were there, uh-huh. and it was a converted turkey farm, and uh-huh. the guy was finishing lamb. He was buying. 60, 70, 80 pound lambs uh-huh. and then finishing them out to 130, 40 pounds. Uh-huh. And, uh, of course his buyer, uh, would only take wool lambs only. Yeah. Uh, he wouldn't do any hair. And, uh, but he was, the ethnic market had killed his ability to buy a uh, small feeder lamb. So he was the, the two loads that he had while we were there came from California. Jeez. And, uh, but anyway, back to, uh, his, his buyer was, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 miles away. And he came to his farm once a week uh-huh. and, and he happened to be there that day we were there. Uh, and he, uh, he touched all the lambs that fit within a certain weight range. Uh-huh. So, so before the buyer got there or the greater, it was a greater, not a buyer, but so the greater would show up and, and this guy would pull out, you know, 40 lambs or whatever and have them in a, in a round pen. Yeah. And this guy would go through and touch every one of them. Uh-huh. And, and he would say, all right. And he would mark them this one. I want this one, this one, this one. Yeah. And he would pick whatever his contract was 20 or 25 sheep a week. 
and he would go through and pick all of them that were finished and ready. Yeah. And then he would mark the, some of the others, a different color for next week. Uh And, and I don't think people realize the difference in finished and just taking your lamps to the market. Yeah, that's right. And and I think that would be a great, like you're talking about the guy at New Holland or, yeah. or even this guy up here we met at Ohio. Yeah. I mean, those guys that, that buy finished lamb right. that are ready for the table, man, that's a different guy. And right. uh, they, they have so much knowledge that they could, they could help the breeders. You know, I learned a lot that day. Yeah. Uh, hey, feel this, touch this, feel this. Yeah. You feel that? Here's one that's not ready. You feel that? Uh, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, uh, you can't see it. A lot of times you can't see it, no. but you can feel it. No, and uh, so, yeah, I think those would be a great uh, yeah. uh, educational uh, event or even a video, you know, a YouTube video or something. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, uh, there's uh, fellas in Mexico. That, uh, of course, there's a lot more patents in Mexico and they do different things there. But when, but there's a lot of guys in Mexico that that uh, are uh, on just on just Catans. Just just you're talking about Dorper, you know. You mentioned that, and, and uh, I don't consider Dorper a hair sheep. Uh, Correct. Every, everyone I've ever seen, uh, I haven't been to any ranches, but uh, everyone I've ever seen in sheep. And uh, in the show ring or wherever they're doing, they're always sheared. And uh, and if you look at the background, uh, they didn't come out of hair sheep. Um, I I think it's just a sheep that has damn poor wool. And uh, and when they get, brought them to this country, they were good people, and they saw a damn niche mark. Um, and we'll call these hair sheep. And um, I, I don't really hair sheep um, myself because I never saw one that wasn't sheared. Well, that was kind of my hang up. Uh, the first time I ran across, uh, I didn't know anything about a hair sheep, but I love lamb chops. So, yeah. um, you know, when I first found out uh, that there was a hair sheep, a friend of mine, uh, Mr. Barnes, found out about it. And so me and him go to, uh, uh, to Kubel to the Dorper Expo and man, these things are slick. I mean, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is, this is awesome. And then, uh, the first couple of farms I go to, they look like a bunch of shaggy wool sheep. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you didn't have to share these things. They're like, well, you know, you kind of got to do this. You kind of like, Oh man, that's too much. You're already, uh, I mean, I just soon buy wool sheep, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, the more I got to looking, the more I thought, well, they're trying to dump cull sheep into our market because yeah. it's a hot commodity right now. That's and and I just, well, I just felt burnt out about it. Yeah. And, uh, and also, um, back to David Redwine, he gave a presentation at that event about their Scott County hair sheep deal. Yeah. And, um, and so that was a big deal at the time. And I thought, man, that's guaranteed pricing, you know, great, uh, great deal. Uh, but by the time I got ready to make a decision, uh, that thing had already kind of started dying out, you know, yeah. and, and then David had already started going into Katahdin's as well. So, yeah, um, that was a great deal. And then I, then I seen the couple of sheep at the Amish and I was sold, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, that was a great deal. Sky on anything. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, that, that was uh, a leadership problem. And, uh, 
and uh, prices spiked. <laughs> people didn't people didn't uh, didn't treat the uh, the hell the grocery didn't treat them right. Uh, we went to a couple food, of, food uh, city, yeah, food city, food city, yeah. They didn't treat food city right, and uh, so food city said the hell we. But uh, we went to a couple of the, uh, the gatherings at Scott County, took some ranch, and uh, uh, first year we went, we took four rams, and I had them priced at seven fifty, and uh, got offers from three hundred, five hundred. I didn't sell nothing; brought them all home. Next year we took five up there. And in the meantime, four people come down here and bought our rams. They'd never seen rams like that before. Hmm. So but it's, uh, you know, you can't give them away. You got to hold your price. Yeah. You know, the Food City deal, um, uh, we talked about a while ago about the future. You know, um, yeah. I think I think regional uh, marketing co-op deals like that uh, have a have a really good future if they're managed well and, yeah. and promoted and, but somebody's got to be, there's got to be a hard worker in the deal. Yep. And, uh, we see it with, uh, uh, the guy, there's a guy in, in Kentucky, Jim, who's doing a, yeah. um, a whole foods deal and Valerie's yeah. doing her little co-op. And, yeah. and so both of those are, and both of those guys are doing a lot of work. Yep. Um, and so it can be done. And I think every area in the country can, could, could do something like that, but you got to have a leader. You got to have somebody that just works their tail off to, to make those things happen. Mm -hmm. That was a whole idea of South Central uh, uh, here. I was selling, selling the sheep to Mexico and, and he wanted a truckload. I didn't have them, so we started South Central in May of 99 and 2000. Uh, January first, two thousand, they shut the border. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> so, so uh, that that's what happened with that deal. And what we're going to do? We had membership, and we started association, and and uh, so we went on the website. We've had our up and downs uh, ever since. But uh, but that was that was a whole idea. Try and get this guy uh, a full truck. And they paid cash, some guys from Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe uh, maybe the Mexican border, uh, you know, do you ever see that, to the Canadian border, you ever, th you ever see that opening up? Uh, I mean, I hear different people say different things, and yeah. and I talk to my USDA people, and, you know, I, uh, I don't, everybody's got a different opinion. So I don't see the Mexicans open up because they don't have a scrapey program. Right. And, and, uh, but the Canon and Can Canadians do now, and it's been in effect over seven years. So they, they have some history. And, and you can, you can, uh, you can go back to Canada with your sheep, uh, and, but it's a lot of red tape. And, um, and I don't know. They had some problems, uh, you know, with that drought or some of the sheep a few years ago, that kind of hurt their injury, uh, pretty bad up there. Uh, remember, they had a drought, wasn't it? And they, and they they sold all their sheep. They had to sell them cheap, 
Uh, of course, they kept all their good breeding stock. Mm -hmm. And and uh, but they were good breeders, and Mexicans are good breeders, and uh, they're doing a lot of AI and, and embryo work. Uh, until we start doing that here, uh, like here in the South, you know, you, there's no one really doing embryo work and, and AI per se. Uh, you know, you call LSU and they say, "Oh well, yeah, we 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 uh, we can do it." Yeah, how many have you done? Well, we don't do a lot of them. And uh, what's your percentages? Well, uh, we don't do that many. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've been through that, but I get a lot of calls for embryos and semen. Um, and uh, if I wasn't so old, when I had my cattle, I still had all the tanks and everything. I should have done it then. Um, but there wasn't that much interest in AI in, in the States or Mexico, too. But uh, I've had requests from uh, overseas Israel. Uh, and Central and South America for semen, but uh, and if I wasn't so old, I'd get into it. But uh, I'm just too old for that. Yeah, a couple of us have talked to uh, to several different vets that that doesn't do anything but small ruminant uh, uh, AI work and semen collection and that kind of stuff and embryo transfers and yeah, man, it's so hard to justify the cost. Yeah. Uh, Unless, unless that that animal has to be superior in every way uh, to justify the cost, and and then on the you side, you know, uh, there's a possibility you could use your your you. You know, I have a friend that that does goats, and he lost his best doe uh, that yeah. he was flushing, you know, and yeah. and she didn't come back, you know, and yeah. he swears he'll never do it again. He would never jeopardize that that doe if he thought that he was going to lose her, you know. And so it's, it's such a, um, you know, I think technology will, will get better and better and drive the, the price down. And, and we actually did a live demo at our Tennessee sheep producers this past December at our meeting. Uh -huh. uh, we had a local vet come in and, and she did a, a fake, uh, uh, AI. Uh, uh -huh. we brought a UN and brought all of her stuff in and uh -huh. we had everything but the semen and, uh, -huh. uh and they, they, done it right there in front of us and it was great you know she had this you uh down and and uh had her on the screen where we could see the inside what they were looking for and and wow. back up and it was you know a couple minutes and boom you're gone yeah um, and she was and she was fairly new at the process that she had brought in a vet uh that had done a lot to help her get started and yeah and so i think it, the demand is is getting better and yeah you know, the cost will go down and the more we'll see it and it'll, it'll really speed up the uh, genetic, uh, uh, you know, the genetic buildup of our breed, you know, pretty quick, uh, maybe in the next four or five years, we'll see, yeah, you know, I, but, uh, it's definitely cost prohibitive. If you got three or $400 in an animal before it's ever born, yeah. it's kind of hard to do yeah. that unless it's just a, a magic animal, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if old Mark Dennis had, you know, a couple hundred straws of new generation or meat maker in the tank, yeah. he'd be sitting pretty right now. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, you're right. And, and, uh, I wish I had, I wish I had because I, I could, uh, I could have sold them. No problem at my price. 
Okay, guys, I told you it was going to be a long conversation. So we're going to end this episode right here. And you guys be looking for the next couple episodes as we continue our conversation with Mark Dennis. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later.